You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Things are getting worse just as they did back when I was your age. Lord Vader. Yes, Master. The rebels in the Lothal system. Hunt them down. As you wish. The fear. The anger. The hate. I haven't sensed a presence like that since... The Clone Wars. My name is Rex. Captain. Your master has deceived you into believing you can become a Jedi. Welcome everyone to the 602 Club. I'm I'm really excited. We have a, a great supplemental episode for you. Um, Disney decided that they wanted to have the episode of, of Rebels, the premiere for season two, to be here in the summer. And we don't know specifically uh, yet in the fall when we'll be getting the rest of the season, but we had to talk about it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's Star Wars, it's Rebels. Um, John and I waxed poetic for an hour and a half on, I think, the the trailer for The Force Awakens and mm-hmm. Star Wars Rebels, and mm-hmm. so I'm so glad that John's with me tonight. Uh, we're, we're just hanging out in the 602 Club because it's just time for more Star Wars geeky time. So, yeah. uh, hey, John, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Glad to be back. Uh, you know... Uh, you know, Ruby's uh, really good about stocking what uh, what I like to drink. Now I don't even have to ask; I can just saunter up to the bar. She knows what I'm feeling. It's good. It's nice when you have a usual in a place, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a it's a good feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, geez, um, I, I got to say right up front, it's a good feel this this season for Rebels season two. I mean, it starts off with. A bang, uh, mainly because they're in a battle. Yeah. But um, this whole episode, uh, for me, felt like holy shiitake mushrooms. <laughs> like that was uh, because this is a family show. I can't say what I really said. The whole episode was just full of these moments, um, and I, I kind of wonder what was your first reaction after seeing it for the first time. I mean, I'm sure you probably watched it more than once. I've I think I've seen it three times now because I like it so much. So, what did you think? Uh, it the entire episode, the entire premiere is uh, just confirms. Uh, I think what you and I both picked up on um, from season one, like because they had that midway point in season one where suddenly it seemed like things started clicking, and I don't know what changed, but season two's premiere is uh, an absolute confirmation that whatever story notes they got. They were uh, possibly lifted straight out of my dream journal and translated <laughs> into a show because uh, it was everything I wanted this show to be. I was like, well, go on, show. Yes, I will stay through this commercial break. Thank you. Uh, I will put that remote down. Yeah, well, 
you know, if I'm being honest, I might have started 20 minutes late so that I could speed through commercials. But, you know, that's wise. You know, I I saw, you know, my Jedi training is strong. I still saw all of the ads, Disney. I I promise you. Um, I sort of just absorbed them. But there was, uh, you know, everything about this episode was a, a strong choice, a good choice. There wasn't there wasn't really anything that left me walking away from it saying, eh, I am so excited now for the second season. Uh, the trailer got me excited for the second season, and this just confirmed that I have every right to be excited for the second season. Bruce Gibson and I were talking uh, the the other day, and um, we were talking about the first season of Rebels and how it had kind of struck us and, and, and the difference between it and Clone Wars and, and how Clone Wars... You know, immediately you knew the importance of Clone Wars because you were dropped in at an important point in the saga with your main saga characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only one that was, the ones that were really new were introducing Ahsoka and, and Captain Rex. I mean, that, that was what was being kind of really brought to the forefront character wise. And, and so you knew it immediately had weight. And I think one of the things for Rebels for me at the beginning is that you weren't sure exactly how important it was going to be, this storyline, because it felt a little bit one-off, you know? Yeah. Um, and But the moment that they started, like you said, halfway through that first season, you know, you bring in uh, Frank Oz playing freaking Yoda again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you do the special edition. I mean, they're already retconning themselves <laughs> with a special edition of the original, uh, you know, Spark of Rebellion episode where you put in James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Uh, you you really did start to get those hints that okay this show is going to be important and then of course the big one I think for everyone wasn't that Vader showed up at the end of the season it was that Ahsoka showed up and she was the linchpin for saying okay this show is freaking important now um, which uh, to me what a huge shift again in fandom that what's legitimizing Rebels in so many ways is that and not in a bad way. But it's Clone Wars 2.0. Like they're sure. they're continuing that storyline, and I have no problem with that um, because these characters have, are now impacting the importance of the entire saga because they're they're connecting with these massive saga characters. Right. I I think you're you're hitting exactly on the point, which is what made Clone Wars work was these new characters they introduced uh, were in the orbit of the uh, characters that we knew and the storylines that we were familiar with. And by bringing Ahsoka back, by bringing Vader in, by bringing Tarkin in, it put these characters in that orbit. We suddenly have a mutual point of understanding with the characters themselves. They're not just sort of going off on adventures. They're now, I understand where they fit. You know, I might not know their ultimate fate, but I understand where they're fitting as their story goes forward. And, you know, Ahsoka is what's amazing is she doesn't have an incredible amount of screen time in the second season premiere, but she has an impactful amount of screen time in the second season premiere. These these characters, the Rebels characters are still the main characters, but it's she is, um, if anything, uh, like like Obi-Wan in uh, A New Hope, where she's not the main character but when she is there yeah. she's giving direction to everybody 
Well, and and what's cool is to see her in that different light. You know, um, Ashley has talked a lot about in interviews the fact that, you know, she is kind of the Obi-Wan character now. You know, Mm -hmm. she's the wiser one. Um, She is much farther along, I think, even than uh, Kanan was, obviously, in his Jedi training. So when it comes to all of these things, she's stronger, more secure, and we don't know what happened to her after she left the Jedi Order. But her lightsabers, her her outfit, everything tells a story that Ahsoka hasn't been um, just sitting on the wayside. You know, that she has been doing things. She's been growing. She's been learning. And I think that's what we're so excited about, too, with her is that there's a lot there that we want to continue to explore. And there's a really great opportunity to explore her alongside Ezra and Kanan because I mean especially in this episode you know Kanan continues to show how un-Jedi like he really is you know he Mm -hmm. um he doesn't want to work in a military system he's done that before he he has become much more of a Han Solo character than he'll ever be of say like a Luke character and um, that's really interesting to have him be the one who's supposed to be training the proto Luke with Ezra. And so it's great that Soka's there now to kind of help if, if hopefully some of that guidance for, for Ezra, it's just a really interesting dynamic to see how these characters are some ways tipping the, the star Wars archetypes on their heads a little bit and, and, and playing for, for different effect. And yeah. I think it's, re- it's really working for me. That's what I was, one of the things I was really responding to in, in the, you know this premiere. Yeah, I. But I, as much as we love Ahsoka and as as important and wonderful it is to have her back, I don't think that you can uh, overstate uh, the added weight that Vader's presence has. Uh, mm, because, yeah. uh, and I said this when we talked about the episode seven uh, preview, where it's a matter of when I. It all became, you know, episode seven became real and important to me in terms of anticipation as soon as I saw Vader's mask. And I was like, ah, okay, it's still relating to the Skywalker clan. And seeing Vader, especially in this time period, is, I think, really important. And I think that that is something else that's wonderful about this is there's no context of... Vader's holding back a little bit because he wants to take somebody on. You know, he doesn't want to take on Kanan as an apprentice or Ezra the way that uh, he wants to take Luke on as an apprentice or anything like that. He just wants to wipe him out. And so when they get to the fights with him, that he is brutal. He is relentless. And he he looks like a Sith Lord. He looks like somebody who is just smacking people down and just like, no, you... <laughs> who do you think you're fighting right now? And it's a totally different vibe than the fights he has with Luke. Well, and it was really interesting uh, just seeing Vader, like you said, on screen. The guy is back in black. I mean, he he talk about making black the new black hmm. um, in this. Is the, he is uber scary again. Yes. You know, he's he's a new hope scary again because you, you he's this kind of ominous thing. You know, obviously... Um, him and Tarkin have this relationship. You know, the governor of Lothal talks about how she's not used to these kind of tactics. You know, she's just a, an administrator, you know. Um, and you get this feeling like 
Tarkin and and Invader, uh, Invader more so, he is the shadow dog. You know, like he's the one who only comes out of the shadows when it's absolutely necessary. And if he's coming out of the shadows, and you're in the Empire, it's probably not going to go well for you. You know, he he's yeah. coming to put the smackdown not just on any rebellion, but probably you as well. Right, you'd better. Yeah. If he's showing up to correct something that you did, that's a really bad sign. And um, I think, like, what really blew my mind about the about Vader's ferocity and, like you said, taking him back to the fearful is first off the design decision again to have him look like the Empire Strikes Back advertising materials that were rejected and then brought back for uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, the Celebration Three. That, that more Macquarie-esque uh, helmet uh, treatment is great, but his ferocity in being willing to use the imperial governor, um, at, not, ju- not just as bait, though. Like, for him, it was killing two birds with one stone. It drew the rebels out, yeah. <laughs> and he eliminated the problem. Like, he was... That's the relentlessness of the Sith that we expect, that we want, that is... So much fun. And so long as we're talking about the Sith, uh, I tweeted out too. Sam Witwer's work, his voice work as the Emperor, I had to do a double take. I had to check the credits because I was convinced for the briefest of moments that it was Ian McDiarmid back uh, giving the voice. And I, I mean, hats off to Witwer. He nailed the Emperor. And it's like, okay, good. When the Emperor comes on now... I know it's going to sound right because I know he's there. Wonderful. Yeah, he's um, he's done that before on, on Rebel Force Radio uh, before he got the job as, as being, uh, you know, the Emperor again here on Rebels. And um, he, he's voiced the Emperor before as well. I think it was in the, um, the Force Unleashed game. Yeah. And uh, so he is so excellent at it. And I, I'm really glad that they chose him to do it because, yeah, he has the same tone of voice and the cadence everything is is pitch perfect um and no i'm not re- talking about the film that you don't like uh and <laughs> but Both what i love I too like. here about vader is this is the vader that i remember as well from empire strikes back which is he's using all of these things to get what he wants you know so the reason that he doesn't kill kanan in the fight when he could have easily dispatched him. I, I, I was sure he was going to lose his hands because that's kind of the same move he used with Dooku. Yeah. And Dooku lost both of his hands. Um, I'm, so I'm really surprised we didn't lose a limb here, but maybe that's because it's, it's a Disney XD show. Mm. Yeah. But I think in a lot of ways he's playing them in that scene and he ends up letting them get away because obviously he's got a larger plan at stake. Um, well, it's, but it seems, like- it seems awfully familiar. Vader seems to be a real fan of uh, putting mm-hmm. a tracking device on somebody. But oh, the yeah. thing is it works this time. Yeah, it does. And so you could see like, it's not like it, it didn't work this time. Like you can see why he would use it again where he's like, eh, yeah, see, that's a good trick. And to see him flying, like he comes alone to deal with the entire fleet. And he's doing all of those tricks and flying uh, the way Anakin did. That was a treat in and of itself. Seeing him go through like a hot knife through butter through all of those uh, ships was wonderful. And there was a very tiny detail that 
they drew no attention toward, but that I loved seeing, which was no cape while he was flying, which is exactly right and exactly the way it was set up in A New Hope. They took the cape off, and it's like that that's attention to detail, and I know I'm sitting here just like throwing the love on it, but the other attention to detail that I have to go back and watch the first season to see if it was there, but the way that the light played through the ship windows when people were flying looked yeah. exactly like the lights on the gimbals that you know, like the way Lucas did it with the way the light, the light is always panning across through the windows. It looked it, just like the films. It was beautiful. Well, you know, speaking of the cape, there's also all the great cape movement as Vader moves so that he kind of his cape kind of flourishes, you know, when he moves his hand or even the way that he uses his hand when he's talking is is very much uh, that Vader movement, you know, and yeah. I think everything about him really works and you know, just that scariness of watching Kanan and and Ezra obviously, you know, they're like level 4s and invaders like level 60. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and they're just absolutely no match in the scariness of that, you know. Um it does make me wonder where, you know, in the end Ahsoka falls down on this because being trained by Anakin, um I, I think that she would have a leg up on a lot of people the same way Obi-Wan would because She's very familiar with how he fights, how he moves, how he thinks. Um, and even though now he's Vader and his movements are going to be more limited than they used to be, yeah. there's also just the raw power that he has in the dark side now. So it'll be interesting, if he, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, I guess, but if that ever comes down, it makes me wonder. Sure. Well, I mean, to, you know, just you're speaking to the point of the power um, during the fight, and it's like, you know, Trust us, everybody who's listening, if you haven't seen the premiere, even with us sitting here talking about all of these scenes and sort of giving away certain things, we're not we're actually not ruining anything. Trust me, we've both seen it more than once. We're not blowing anything for you because there is a fight scene and where they they basically bury Vader under a bunch of stuff and the stuff goes off and Vader stands up and Ezra and Kanan are standing there. And I, I can't remember the exact line, but it, it was something along the lines of, what can stop this guy? And Kanan replies, not us. And they just run yeah. off. And I'm like, yes, yes. yes. perfect. Well, and, and I think that that, yeah. you know, that was the, her whole point. You know, if we are going to bring Vader onto the show and we're going to use him like this, if they get away, it has to either be because Vader let them or it's the move later on that Hera uses, you know, it's, it's by the skin of their teeth. It's not because they were able to best Vader. Right. Um, in, in the kind of like we bested general grievous way, you know, um, he needs to stay the scary villain. And I think they've paid him the utmost respect. Oh uh, yeah. And so anybody who is worried about that, there's no worry. I mean, none. Um, and they found a way by the end of the episode to bring Vader out of the season for a while and bring in the new Inquisitors, which I'm very excited about because really those Inquisitors link back all the way to the Children of the Force episode with uh, the Clone Wars yes. where Palpatine is doing these experiments uh, on these children to create his little personal Force user army, 
Um, and I'm wondering how much that's going to play into the seasons of Rebels, wh- whether or not they might have some um, connection with trying to, f- you know, find the in- these Inquisitors or how that's all going to play out. But I just love that they're picking up on these little elements that really connecting the the, the yeah. saga, the the two shows, and then um, everything else. It's it's working so well. I want to ask you a question because I was thinking about this because uh, walked through the toy store the other day, killing some time with the kids, uh, you know, so just doing some window shopping sort of stuff. And I saw the the big Inquisitor figure there along with all of the other uh, figures. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, he's dead. Do you think that with the Inquisitors that at some point we're going to see some sort of clone of the old Inquisitor that they're going to bring him back? Um, it's him, but not him, sort of thing, you know. So like, like he's the Wayun of the show. Yeah, in a sense, but not exactly Wayun. Like Wayun was Wayun, but like he just somebody that looks like him, so that you could understand why people would not be able. You know, which Inquisitor was it? I I don't know. It was one of them. You know that that sort of thing. Like do you, because the the aesthetic with the original Inquisitor was very similar to the personification of the dark side in the Mortis episodes in Clone yes, Wars. Yeah. I, it, it almost feels like it would be a wasted opportunity if they didn't find a way to, quote-unquote, bring him back in some way. Not him. I mean, he's gone. But somebody that looks like him, somebody that looks and sounds like him, would be a neat plot line to, you know, to sort of like mess with their heads and be like, don't you understand, Jedi? Your your time's at an end. The dark side is, you know, going to continually come back. And, you know, now I'm basically going down fan speculation plot lines. But I just wanted to get your take on it. Do you think that that would be something we could look forward to seeing, should look forward to seeing? Or that does that feel sort of like, nah, they shouldn't go near that? It really just depends. I mean, um, you know, they, they have some really big voices in this show. I mean... Jason Isaacs was the voice of the Inquisitor, um, and David Oyu is the the voice of um, Callus, and that's why you don't see Callus, I think, that much, because you, you you just have these people that have such gravitas, and they do such a great job with the voice work, but I'm sure they're more difficult to get a hold of, and so, but I could see them doing something, and that's kind of, I think, what I was getting at is, Will we get to a point where this rebel band, their goal would be to take out the Inquisitors? Right. Because you have Kanan, Ezra, and Ahsoka involved, and th- and therefore they can take on these Inquisitors and, and really bring that, um, that program of the Empire to its knees, you know, take it out. Um, that would be their yeah. big uh, thing. While as maybe other bands of the rebels are, st- are are you know working on getting Death Star plans, which we had referenced in this episode. Yeah. So, um, things like that. I, I yeah i I could totally see them bringing back somehow that Inquisitor if they wanted to, and because of of the Clone Wars and us knowing about cloning. I, I see no reason why they couldn't um, mm-hmm. y- y- make that work because it's already part of the Star Wars universe. I would completely accept it, and I think it would be, as you say, just a complete mind frack of a thing for the uh, this this group of rebels to have that come back at them when you know Kanan thought he destroyed it and just really mess with them like that. Yeah, 
Well, I, yeah, I think that I think that you're onto something there. Like it could be a really good quest for like that's how they that's how they contribute to crippling the empire is they end the inquisitors. You know, like it, so that it truly is just the two Sith left. Like they can't send out minions anymore. And like that would be kind of a cool plot line. Well, and and the emperor says to Vader, you know, at the end, uh, well, the apprentice lives, and and maybe she can lead us to other lost Jedi. So mm. Vader and the emperor are are very cognizant that there are Jedi that have slipped through the cracks, even the cracks of the Inquisitor Squad. Yeah, um, which sounds like a fun comic, the Inquisitor Squad yeah. instead of the Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, and I smell a spinoff. There you go. Um, and so. It's it's very clear that we, you know, obviously, <laughs> Vader even lists Kenobi, um, and and the idea of Yoda, you know, so they're aware of some of these Jedi. Who knows who else has survived? Um, it makes me wonder if um, if there's somebody like a Quinlan Vos or e- even um, a, a Saj Ventress type of character that slipped through, and they don't want them uh, around anymore, especially since. Uh, you know, the last time we saw Asajj in the Clone Wars, I haven't read Dark Disciple yet, but, you know, she was much more friendly towards the Jedi and that way of thinking than she ever was going to be probably of the Sith again. So she wouldn't necessarily be somebody you wanted hanging around the galaxy. So there's all these characters out there. And who knows what the heck happened to Darth Maul? Are we going to run in Darth Maul again, maybe? Oh, now that would be a mind melter. If they actually had Maul and Vader face off in in one of these shows somehow. It it wouldn't it shouldn't happen. It wouldn't well, I mean they, they could pull off a good way to do it, but like it wouldn't fit because that's a clone that's a clone wars type of thing. Like that's Vader centric. That's not um that would be an episode where I, I don't even know how they could work these main characters into that. Like in a in a justifiable way. But what if yeah. Maul turned out to be the Asajj Ventress who finally turns on his old master and the dark side because of the way he's been mistreated? I mean, he by the end of what the last time we saw him in Clone Wars, he's begging for mercy. That's not something you expect of a full fledged so, Sith. Well, I mean, you're saying okay. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll, we'll go. You know, we go down that rabbit hole of uh, you know writing a, a sort of like a fan script, but because yeah, I can see these possibilities now where it's like, you know, he shows up one day and he's like, no, 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 I just want to take out the Emperor and Vader because they're jerks, and I, you know, I don't care about your cause. Point me toward them and I'll take them out. You know, like, but it's enough that I know that we can look forward to seeing Captain Rex later. So yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. just I'll take what they throw at me, and I'll just be happy for it. And I think that that's really the overarching uh, feeling coming out of this is I'm not I'm not tense about the storylines or or the direction of the show anymore. This really not at all. I'm confident that this is going to be the Star Wars show that I want, and as a fan that I've been looking for to fill the void that Clone Wars left. So you're saying this is the show you've been looking for? Absolutely. Well, I wanna I wanted to ask you: Do you think that that's because, as as you know, Dave has said that this show is going to have an Empire Strikes Back type of feel this season, and I, I clearly saw that and felt mm. it when I was watching this episode. Do you think that so many fans are feeling more comfortable because we feel like we're in that 
you know, Empire Strikes Back state of mind? You know, I think that that fits. Yes. Uh, And that's because this is the Empire is still strong. The Death Star hasn't been destroyed. They're still very, very dominant. And they should, when Vader shows up, he should be kicking ass. And when, you know, they're fighting the Empire, it should be a terrifying experience for them. And I think that that is possibly the tone that was missing from the first half of the first season was it was it was too lighthearted. I mean, even the original Star Wars, there there's very much a sense of menace to the villains and that that sense of menace is back. And I think that that's really what I think you're right. I think that it's a more empire feel and will and it fits with this time period much better. You I'm I'm just picturing, you know, the 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 amazing James Earl Jones, you know, just saying you don't know the power of the dark side. Uh that's kind of what I feel in this season is that you know, I think you're right on that first season there were so many episodes that were so light and airy at the at the beginning yeah. of the season. And then as they progressed, they got slowly a little bit more serious, a little bit darker, except for the Lando episode. But we're not going to talk about that. Hey, and, and Lando came back, and I'm so glad to see him. He did. I did Lando. He did come back. Uh, I want to ask you about that in just a second. But, you know, I loved um, that that feeling, that this dark, foreboding feeling. And it, it really makes me wonder, and not in a Maroon 5 kind of way, but... Uh, What's going to happen to these these characters with this feeling? Because I sense danger. I've got a bad feeling about this. You know, with all of these characters, uh, from from Ahsoka to the rest, you, how do these characters make it when they're on Vader's radar? It's it's a good question, but I think that um, you know it, it, this is where it gets a little. Uh, I, I hope I make sense with this, but they've bought themselves just with this one episode, the leeway to have a, uh, for lack of a better term, a non-mythology uh, episode or two. You know, something, I, I think that episodes like this buy them the leeway to have the more lighthearted stuff happen. And I, I think it works to give these episodes, it will work to give these types of episodes more weight and at the same time um, give us sort of like that relief, you know, that release valve. The entire season can't possibly be as intense as the opener. Like they need, they're going to need to take breathers uh, throughout. What the fate of the characters are, I, I, I just think is just uh, very blissfully uncertain, as it were. I think that you'll see plenty of side characters by it. Um, but I think that main characters are fairly safe through this season, at least. I I agree with you. Um, I I think that with these these characters, you know, um, I don't know if you saw the uh, Rebels report that they always do after the the episode that StarWars.com does. And they showed a preview of the next episode, and the very next episode of Rebels that we will see is the one with Rex and the clones. They're going to be with them. So um, 
I, I think you're right, and and that what they're doing is they're setting up ways to expand the mythology without necessarily always having to be this type of of intense, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, and because they're bringing in those type of characters, like you said, those side characters, I think that really uh, creates this whole opportunity to do exactly what the Clone Wars does, what they what they learn from the Clone Wars, which is you can tell all these these type of stories, but this one we're going to definitely do it more linearly, um, and it's going to be more interconnected. But we're allowing ourselves to be able to have the opportunity to to tell different types of stories at the same time. And, um, but I think this was such a great way to start the oh, yeah. season. Oh yeah. And, and really, I guess, set the tone so that I feel like this, the tone of this season probably is going to feel more like the empire is always breathing down their neck. Like you did in, um, the empire strikes back. And yet at the same time, there will be a reprieve every once in a while. Yep. Um, and, and that'll be fun because, again, you're adding some great characters. And Okay, Lando shows up. Yay! What's up with his droid? Why does his droid sound like he just stepped out of, like, Harlem? Oh, I don't think his droid sounded like he stepped out of Harlem, but his droid definitely uh, uh, was... Had the moxie? Uh, you know what? I like the fact that... Um, it's that whimsical choice. It's that that used to really be a hallmark of Star that is still a hallmark of Star Wars, where every so often you get that tiny little character that shows up and it's like, wait, what? You know, like and it's just fun. I thought it I thought his protocol droid was fun. I thought his protocol droid was fun in the way that it it cements the idea that the protocol droid is going to be in some way a reflection of either their, you know, their owner or the, the, the people that they're with, whatever, because this protocol droid sounds, you know, smooth and charming the way Lando does. Whereas, you know, 3PO is the worry wart because he's going around with people that where everything's exploding. So 3PO should be high strong. <laughs> Whereas Lando's droid should be like, hey, what's up? Where, where's the mechanic? Could you help me out here? Like he had sort of a Lando-esque personality. And I like that idea that the droids reflect the surroundings in which they operate. Makes me wonder who TC-14's operator was uh, in uh, The Phantom Menace then. Oh, wow. Uh, you know... They're Jedi Knights, I believe. Well, you know, TC was a, a very um, diplomatic droid so okay. probably uh well I, I got the sense was a very diplomatic droid so i i would say probably not um gun ray he didn't seem like a very diplomatic <laughs> probably not yeah one of the biggest things in, in the entire episode is the moment that vader is attacking the rebel fleet of ships yeah ahsoka is on uh the ghost her and kanan are realizing how strong this attacker is in the force. She and Kanan are breaching out in the force together to see how strong. And there's this wonderful moment where Vader, even though he's in the mass, you can almost see his eyebrows go up. And he says, the apprentice lives. And then Ahsoka on the ghost 
Her eyes pop open and she screams and she's out. Like she. Well, yeah, they they uh, they uh, they iris out. They like white out the screen, and she passes out. Um, and that what you know what was super interesting about that was she passes out specifically because of the obvious personal connection. Uh, but she feels the wave strongest, even though she and Kanan are linked. Uh, and using their powers together, he's sensing, basically, she basically has a traumatic moment, whereas he senses something cold and awful and terrible and powerful. She senses something traumatic about who is in that ship. And I think there is no question that Ahsoka knows who that is. I think this could come into play with... um, with Rex, uh, you know, later on down the line where she's like, Rex, I got to tell you something. I think that, and I also want to say, you know, something I'm, I'm thinking of right now is that the fact that they, they had the Jedi link together and that physical contact, it's, it is a very subtle nod to the midichlorians and the living force because they weren't just sitting together and focused on the same thing. He actually, Kanan actually physically touches her. And so this, the idea that the physical form is an antenna for the force and, you know, the, the two antenna joining together, uh, you know, makes a more powerful connection. I like that. It's a very subtle nod to the, uh, you know, living force versus the force itself. Uh, that that works into the giant mythos of everything. Oh yeah, I I agree with you. I, I thought that that was a, a really nice moment, and uh, you know, it too. I love how Ahsoka just tells him. You know, he asks, "How can I help?" And she says, "Just remember your training." Um, and that 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 very teacherly way that she says that, and and she's guiding him on and helping her figure this out. And I'm pretty much with you. I don't think that there's a way that Ahsoka doesn't know who he is especially with the reaction that she has oh, yeah. like, I don't feel like if you don't want us to think that she knows who Vader is then that that reaction wouldn't be as strong and she wouldn't be so cagey later on when she's talking to Ezra and Kanan and she's not even looking at them but they ask do you know who that is and she says no no, I don't. And she's looking away from them. And the way that the eye movement and, and the the subtle, you know, like features of, of her face and everything. Um, and then later, after the rest of the ghost crew show up and say, hey, we're here to help and everything. She looks back at them and smiles, almost kind of remembering, I felt like, the good times in the, the Clone yeah. Wars. And then she looks ahead and gets this face of just like abject worry, I feel like. And then like determination of I felt like I can't tell them who this really is in the same way Obi-Wan wouldn't tell Luke who Vader was you don't need to know it's worse if you knew the truth which is this used to be a Jedi he betrayed us all and now he's trying to kill you well Anakin Skywalker was also a you know galactically renowned hero you know, yeah, and, and yeah, I think I, I think that it's possible you could you could spin it as well that Ahsoka thinks she knows who he is, 
but she realizes that if she's right, what the implications are, and she's got to find a way to confirm that this is true. Like she can't, yeah. she's got to be a hundred percent about this. You know, does it possibly spur her on to find a way to contact Obi-Wan and say, you got to help me out with this? I, yes, I completely, this is how you can bring Obi-Wan back for a cameo or for an episode here. And I think it would be amazing um, to have those two converse and talk. And and can you imagine James Arnold Taylor and Ashley sitting and having that conversation in his little hut on Tatooine? I, but saying, see, I don't think he'd be in his hut. I think he would be through some sort of like, uh, you know, hauling at relay and very much saying, you know, she's like, I need you to help me reach out. And him saying something along the lines of, OK, look, number one, I can't risk drawing any attention to myself right now. And number two, you deserve to know. And then he tells her the story and like, imagine what the emotional impact would be to Ahsoka if she I mean, does she know like what happened to Anna? Does she know about the fight on Mustafar? Does she think he's dead the way Obi-Wan did? Like, what does what did she know before that moment of contact? Hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm I'm personally in my head canon imagining that they're sitting in his hut so that she can have the freak out moment she's gonna need to have the abject horror and not be alone, have Obi-Wan there to comfort her because this is gonna be as as hard as this was for Obi-Wan, you know, you were the chosen one, you were my brother, I loved you. Uh, this is going to be a tough thing for Ahsoka to hear mm. about her former master in very much the same way that it affected Obi-Wan. It was it was complete and utter heartbreak. I don't think it would be in the in his hut. I think that the the hologram would serve to underscore for Ahsoka how the Jedi, you know, I think that to an extent she very much feels like the Jedi let her down and weren't there for her. And something like Obi-Wan being remote would underline that for her, that she was right about the order all along and right to leave. And uh, even if it's not in hologram, I don't think that Obi-Wan is letting anybody know where he is. You know, I, I think he is very much off the radar. I That part I could see. And, and the only thing and the only other reason I would want it to be in his hut is just because I would also love the conversation to involve Obi-Wan apologizing. Because I do think that Obi-Wan realized the same way that um, that even Yoda kind of, I think, felt that they hadn't done the right thing for Ahsoka. Um, and so I would kind of, I just feel like it would be such a powerful moment of of one of the things that you would kind of watch if you watch the entire saga, if you watched all the way through episode one, all the way to um, episode six with everything in between, Obi-Wan, you know, admitting that, that, that the way that the Jedi had handled things and, and basically learning the lesson, you know, uh, I, I think that would just be a great moment. I, I It may never happen. I just, that's what I'm picturing. Well, I think if it happens, Kanan has to be there. I think Kanan deserves that apology that would be cool as well. Too. Yeah. And so we'll get the payoff as the fans for Ahsoka coming to terms. But I think that also the newer the kids watching, like it it gives Kanan equal standing and weight, you know, for Obi Wan to say to him, I'm sorry we weren't there to help you. I'm sorry that we couldn't help you do anything except, you know, 
sound the alarm and keep you away from Coruscant so you didn't walk into a slaughter. Well, and this is another thing for now that Ahsoka is here. With Kanan, Kanan's had contact with Yoda. And so has Ezra. Yeah. And so that makes for another interesting thing of of kind of connecting Yoda, Kenobi, and Kanan with Ahsoka and Ezra. And, you know, again, this brings back to the question is who survives? Um, because if they really do feel like Luke is the the last hope, um, is is that just because he's a Skywalker and they know how powerful he'll be in the Force, or is that because all of these other options didn't make it? Well, I think that uh, you know Luke being you know <clears throat> Vader's descendant. I think they know that that's going to carry. That's going to mess with. Basically, they're playing. They know that that's their one shot at playing head games with Vader is to have his son show up on the scene and, you know, be like, ha ha surprise. Your kids did live and have Anakin be like, wait, what? I mean, because I, you know, it shakes Vader, you know, to his core to be like, I, I have, wait, my, the kids lived what? And, and that brings together to the love that he had for right. Padme, you know, and, and that makes that love legitimate in a lot of ways because it's his love for Padme that, that, and his love for his son that really helped change him back you know they, uh well i think i think, I think, his, I think his love for i think his love for his son brought him back um i think that it's well it, it's a whole it's a whole other discussion to talk about whether yeah. he truly <laughs> loved padme or not yeah and so and so instead I, i'll uh i'll make sure um that i i say that i was so overjoyed uh, since we touched on Vader attacking the fleet and you know the, the different action scenes and everything, I was so overjoyed to see A wings, um, yes, especially in the original awesome. uh, the original look that they had in the in the sketchbooks and everything. But the A wing was always my favorite ship. I've got one hanging. On, I'm looking at it right now, hanging on my wall, um, and uh, the, the, just to see them flying and also to see the way they launched. Where they ran out yeah, to a like cap- Battlestar Galactica. Oh, it was cool with them, Battlestar Galactica. They jumped down into the cockpit from a catwalk. That I mean, those guys—that was pretty cool. They—they they had they had uh, you know of steel. They 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 were there were parts of them that were made of steel that were jumping into those fighters, and it was like, yeah, they looked like a crack team of pilots. It was really cool. And then they got decimated. Well, it's you know it's, <laughs> it's not Vader. every day that you fly against Darth Vader. It tends That's to go poorly so for you. Well, I wanted to kind of just ask you about some of the the other characters. Uh, one of the things that really played well for me in the the episode was the relationship between Kanan and Hera, and, and so much has been kind of made about the fact that they they're space married and they they yeah. have some kind of relationship. They really do, and it 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 plays very clearly um, when she confronts him after the meeting, uh, that they've had, uh, the top secret meeting that he just invites a hologram to, uh, and the way that she's kind of making him lean up against the door jam. I mean, it's a very intimate scene. Um, and I just, I loved that they have this super close relationship that we haven't defined yet in the show, but it does make sense to me. You know, I I know you're busy trying to help people save the galaxy, but you're also saving the galaxy so that you can hopefully live and have a life too. And it makes sense that these people, they, it seems like have a very unspoken 
close relationship that they don't talk about with other people and and they're not you know see pda in it everywhere but they they probably have something going on or at least an understanding um of what they might want to have in the future if they live through all this well i i think that there there is a more um direct acknowledgement as well uh because when they're at some point in the episode um they say uh okay kids make mom and dad proud Yes. They very, All right, they, kids, do mom and dad proud. Yeah. It's awesome. And I, I, I think I cheered when I heard that. I think that it's definitely uh, another sign that they're moving things forward with the show, and just embracing. I, I, I mean, we keep coming back to how it seems like they course corrected in certain ways, but it really seems just like they they just relaxed, and instead of trying so hard, they said, "You know what? We know what we're doing." It really feels like they just started trusting themselves again. Well, and, and in so many ways, we kind of talked, touched a little bit earlier. You know, Kanan is so much like Han Solo, and Hera has so much of, of Leia in her. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the command presence, the, the, the presence where um, she can have people open up to her and feel comfortable around her, all of those things. And in fact, I, I think Hera is a much more... Um, successful character personally for me than Leia. Uh, that might be a very unpopular opinion, but I think that she comes off a much more natural leader type character um, and much more just comforting and everything. And I don't know. I just, I really like the characterization of Hera. I think she's one of the most successful female characters I've seen um, next to Ahsoka, who is, I think, the best female character I've ever seen in Star Wars. Well, I I, I mean, we, you know, we've touched on, I mean, Ahsoka has the advantage of having a lot more screen time uh, than Princess Leia did. Um, and I think that Hera, her character is in a, you know, she's surrounded by more people. She has more relationships. And I think that the, you know, you get to know somebody better just by virtue of, if I know somebody in a one-on-one way, that's one thing. But if it's the two of us working together with a few other people, I get to see how they interact with those other people. So we get to see more facets of Hera's personality than what we got to see in the films with Princess Leia. That is not to take anything yeah, away from true. her character, but it's just a more complex personality that gets drawn out even if the show were to be canceled after this season which it won't be i'm not saying it should be i'm saying if it were if there was some nightmare scenario where they pulled the plug on it um hera has still had more opportunity to interact with more different people than princess leia did yeah that's very true one of the things that was really interesting was when ezra and kanan were standing there at Tarkin Town, watching it burn, mm-hmm. and Kanan's trying to f- talk sense into to Ezra, at least what he thinks is sense, which is we can't. Do you do you see what we just went up against? We can't. We can't fight this. And Ezra saying, "I'm not afraid," and all I could hear was Yoda saying, "You will be. You will be." And so I'm wondering, like, is this a good place for Ezra to be? Where because it seems like in some ways he's found what he thinks of his home because he says, "Well, I guess you can't go home again." When he watches his old home with from his parents blow up, um, in this episode, 
does his security in the the rebellion and and having a purpose uh, and all of that and and even connecting when he finds his lightsaber crystal and and he tells Yoda that I I don't want to make the Empire pay because of vengeance. I want to protect all the people that I care about. You know, he's found his family, and 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 it, but he also wants to protect the the universe, not just himself. You know, he's being altruistic. Um, he's being very Jedi in that way. So, is that not fear a resolution of doing the right thing because he knows what the right things to do is, even if that means giving his life, or is that a reckless no fear like Luke had, what we saw in Empire, which was very reckless. Uh, no, I think it's a very youthful, I think it is a Luke-like thing, but a Luke-like thing from uh, from A New Hope, where okay, it, yeah. it's, it, you know, Kanan is right when he says, you know, you. he basically says you should be afraid, but it's um, he, the moment where they're watching Tarkintown burn, for me, called back to A New Hope when Obi-Wan says, you know, there's nothing you could have done had you been there. You would have been killed too, and the droids would now be in the hands of the Empire. Like he's talking, like Ezra doesn't fear because he doesn't understand the context of what could happen if he went into that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's because he has that same heroic impulse that Luke does, where he's not regarding himself as important enough to be concerned about. Whereas Kanan is saying, you know, you're. You know, it's it is for other people, but you sh- you also need to look out for yourself. Yeah, it it is interesting too because, you know, unlike Luke at that point, Ezra is now faced Vader, and knows exactly what can happen. Uh, you could almost get decapitated with your own lightsaber hmm. being forced on you by your own hand. That was so a, that it, was a fantastic moment. I love yeah. that scene. Um, so I think there's a there is a little bit of difference in that when when. Ezra's saying this, he's well aware of the consequences of, of of going back to face this guy again. And it seems like to me he's very resolved at this point to learn more, yeah. to grow as a Jedi, mm-hmm. um, at least in, in saber combat and force use to be able to do what he can. Uh, so that's going to be a really interesting thing for me watching this, this season because it's an it's – an, a very we know nothing about the Jedi in this period. You know, we know what Obi-Wan did for the most part, um, and we know what Yoda did, but we don't know what the rest of these lost Jedi did. And I think this is just a fascinating, wide open place to be because you know, who Ahsoka is now as a as as a force user is is very open as well. She's not Jedi, she's not a Sith. Um, she doesn't really have an allegiance. And so how they kind of help each other, I think is going to be fascinating yeah. to watch. So kind of some final things that I want to ask you, cause we've talked about the music before on the show and yep. one of the things for me that I was a little bit bothered by were all the musical cues that were happening from every single part of the original trilogy in this film, all mixed into one place. And when I think about how specific Williams is for the themes he places where Mm -hmm. and why he creates a certain theme for a certain thing, I'm disappointed that 
that, that Rebels isn't getting its own themes for its own characters. So that when we have we have Ezra's theme, so that we have Hera's theme, Kanan's theme, Sabine's theme, Zeb's theme, Chopper's theme. We have all these great characters that kind of could have their own themes. And when John would reuse a theme, especially with the prequel trilogy from the original trilogy, it usually had a good connection to kind of something that you would see later on. Whereas here, I just think it's like, oh, this is the fun action cue from Empire Strikes Back with the asteroid chase. So we'll put it in there. It'll sound fun. Or from um, the Ewok battle in um, Return of the Jedi. That'll be fun. You know, and it's such a hodgepodge that it's it's lactic specialness. And as we are going to be talking about in our Phantom Menace episode that we recorded... Williams let you know that you were in the Star Wars universe by the auditory uh, uh, senses that he was just percolating with his music. And the Clone Wars, even though it had a lot of different sounds to it, it still found a way to fit the, the, the mood of what was actually happening. Whereas this, because like you had said before, when we've talked about the music... You're so tied to that music in other places, it kind of draws you out. And really, for me in this episode, it did because it was so jumping from film to film. I just wasn't feeling the connection I should feel for me for the music. And I know that's probably, I, I think a lot of people in general are liking the music, but for me, it this episode it really kind of became more of an issue than it had been even in the first season it's interesting i had uh, sort of the opposite reaction because something i realized uh, yeah the reusing certain themes um was has been problematic for the show but i feel that this time around instead of lifting things they use them as introductory motifs and the music always resolved and ended differently than it started which was different than some of the real musical missteps they had in season one um and that's nothing to take away from from kevin kiner i mean he has a job to do and i'm sure that he has notes that you know he has to follow and stuff like that but i also realized uh Probably this is how I, I've sort of compartmentalized it to be okay with it um, to an extent is there's a lot of music spotting that happens in all of the movies outside of the first one. And although with the special edition of A New Hope, of course, spots Do- Jabba's theme from Return of the Jedi into it and stuff like that. But in Empire Strikes Back, when the Snowspeeders are looking for... Uh, Han and Luke. It's the same music as when they're escaping from um, uh, Cloud City. Now, if you listen to the Unabridged soundtrack, it wasn't that way, but they purposely, you know, respotted the music because it it timed better, it felt better. Um, in Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi, when he is bargaining with Jabba before he pulls the gun, the original music cue for that was different. It's actually the lead up to uh, the his flip out on Vader on the Death Star uh, is playing as Luke is trying to talk down Jabba, um, and then in in Episode Two, like they just respotted a whole ton of music uh, 
um, throughout the battle scene uh, for, you know, for episode two. I mean, it, it was it was basically they just lifted bars from, you know, a bunch of different moments and brought them in. This is not to take anything away from the soundtracks for any of the films, but more an intellectual exercise, I think, that I went into to accept that this was going to happen, that I, too, wish that they would have more original themes, but I felt that there was, even though they reused a lot of music from the films here in the season two opener, I felt like they were trying to make progress toward resolving away from them. I, you know, maybe that's just hopeful thinking on my part. Maybe I just got so caught up in the plot that I just didn't, you know, I just decided to to shrug it off or something. But, I, you know, it didn't bother me as much this time. I, I think for me, what would help is if they had some of those original themes, especially for these new characters, so that I could feel connected to them as they then interworked the rest of the themes they were using from the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. I think that would just help me uh, a little bit more to feel like Rebels shouldn't just feel like it's it's some strange extension to the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. It also has its own place now in the Star Wars universe, and I think musically it should be um, reflected like that, the same way the Clone Wars is reflected like that. You know, um, and it had its sound, and and Ahsoka had a theme. And, yeah. No, oh, I, 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 I get, things, I get what so. you're saying, man, and I, I'm, I'm on board with you. I'm just saying, like, I don't know whether I went through that intellectual exercise to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to give it a break or to relax. You know, like, I, I don't know why I, I spent so much time even thinking about it. But it would have been nice if I didn't have to think about it. I think that would have been, <laughs> yeah, that would have been yeah, a plus. I, yeah. Well, and I think you gave a, a, some some good thoughts, you know, um, and and I appreciate that because it does help a little bit. Uh, my frustration that I had with the episode and kind of being able to look back and see that, you know, um, and every great composer does that, you know. Um, if you listen to John Williams' catalog, you're going to hear parts of his music from many of his different movies, all playing in different movies. You know, um, oh, ha- it happens, yeah, it, it happens a lot. <laughs> uh, have some fun, and uh, you can find some Superman cues in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, they're in yeah, there, folks. You got to listen yep. real close, but they're hiding. Any final thoughts about just anything else we we might have missed, or just a favorite moment, or something like that? Is is we're kind of winding down uh, our our Rebel season two premiere. I think that everybody's favorite moment uh, has to be when Ahsoka made contact. Um, so if I were to pick a second favorite moment, um, it's definitely going to be uh, when the A wing pilots were jumping into their cockpits to fly off because that was just awesome. It, it, I mean, that's why I say this episode was like a love letter because having the A-Wings feature prominently in the first place was wonderful. And then to have their pilots be that just just awesome, that, w- that was a treat. I loved it. Well, I really loved when Kanan was kind of getting back at Hera and he's like, I'm going to go make a friend, you know? Mm-hmm. And Sabine's like, Kanan went buckethead. <laughs> and Ezra goes... <laughs> I only have the helmet. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> that, <laughs> I you're just right. thought it just reminded me of a, a a conversation that I'm sure so many geeks have had of being like, man, I wish I had the whole outfit, you know? Like, yeah. 
No, you're right. That is a great moment. It's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this this episode is just rife with. I mean, there is so much that is funny about this episode. They really have some amazing humor and the humor is not overbearing as I felt like it was in some of the early episodes like everything is is really pitch perfect here I mean they are batting a thousand already for the season yep with just I I really uh, my little tiny critique there of the music is nothing I I would still rate this episode if I if I have on a percentage scale this is a hundred percent episode Agreed. I mean, Agreed. you know, there's 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 absolutely nothing wrong with it. So, and and what's great about it is that I feel like this episode lives up with the best episodes from last season, where you had the the Yoda episode, um, of course, the finale, uh, those episodes that really stood apart from that season. This one is just adding to that, and it really connects with the best episodes that we had in in the Clone Wars. So, uh, this team is on fire and. I don't think that there's a Star Wars fan out there who's seen this that isn't literally on the edge of their seat just waiting for when, you know, the rest of season two is going to come. And right unfortunately, don't know when that is. Um, so hopefully, Grr. you know, it's like maybe it's like just September. We have to wait to, you know, that's yeah. that's only a few months away. So I, I can I could do it. I can watch this one a thousand more times again. They can, so. they can give us a few books, a few supplementals. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we do have Dark Disciple coming out, which uh, I know you and I both want to read, and oh, we, yeah. we kind of want to do a supplemental episode, and that's based on eight different episodes of The Clone Wars yep. that they were going to do, an eight-arc episode series. So huge, huge. I'm very excited to see, um, Yeah, of course, with Asajj Ventress being back, Quinlan Voss, and you know, hearing um, that some um, other major characters from The Clone Wars in it as well. So sounds great to me. Can't wait. Well, John, of course, uh, you know, talking Star Wars with you uh, is not the only thing that we've been talking about on Trek FM this past week. I know it's shocking, but here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And I'm wondering if it's because the comic book writers didn't understand what the filmmakers were doing or whether it was because the comic book writers wrote themselves into a corner or whether it was because the comic book writers wanted to open their stories up to more possibilities. Earl Grey. We divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. This year, opening for five-year mission is Del Rock. Del Rock. Del Rock. They'll rock your world. Bajoran style. The ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard and he's like, hey, what up? To the journey! My question is, what would Janeway have in place of banana pancakes? Because that's Bolana's thing. Would Janeway's be coffee ice cream? I was just about to say coffee ice cream. (laughs) my, My lips... My lips were forming the syllables to say coffee ice cream. <laughs> Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that the future guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. I know that both of us will come out of it okay. 
But since Matthew is not used to sparring with either of us, I'm afraid that he's going to be a bloody mess lying on the floor of the 602 Club. The 602 Club. You know, that's Bryce Dallas Howard's decision. She wanted to do that. She made the decision that that the character wouldn't get out of these heels. Which to me said... This character has changed some, like she has learned some things, but there are some things about her that are not going to change. Literary treks. You know, Bajor getting through the occupation with its faith, and this faith kind of coming back in Cardassia, and helping them kind of get through, you know, their darkest hour. Yeah, I definitely do like kind of how it's come full circle. Axanar, the official podcast. I tried different action figures. Uh, I tried Black Widow. I tried the Black Widow from uh, uh, the, the Hot Toys Black Widow. Too small. It wouldn't work with really? the other action. Yeah, it didn't, didn't photograph quite. But, but tell everyone why you're photographing action for you. Women at Warp. So she definitely knows cats. I say that right off the bat. She knows cats and bones. Yes, definitely. Of course bones would get annoyed with all the cat fur. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Guys, uh, check out these shows. You can find everything we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and far, far away. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you're an Apple user, you know, hit the subscribe button. Give us a star rating and reviews. Um, I really appreciate all the uh, listeners who have already done that. It means so much to me. When I see a new star rating and review there, um, it really, honestly, it makes my day. But it also means that I know that other people are finding it easier. They're finding the 602 Club easier because of you. If you're not an Apple user, don't worry. You can find the shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website. Grab the RSS link as well. Now this is probably one of the most important things here on Track FM is, is the membership that we have with people through Patreon. Um, if you would love to support our network, as, as we are a listener-supported network, we're a lot like PBS. Without you, we can't make this happen. Um, we'd love for you to check Everything out at patreon.com slash trekfm. You can see all the goals we're trying to reach and the milestone contribution levels because we've, there's some great perks that come with this. Um, my associate producer here gets exclusive uh, access to the content that I produce here before anybody else. So he gets to listen to the 602 Club before anyone because of his membership with us on Patreon at a certain level. We've got plenty of those things for you to check out. We really do appreciate your support. Again, that's at patreon.com slash trekfm. Got to thank my ex- uh, executive producers, uh, Christopher Jones, and of course, Norman Lau. I love those guys. I really appreciate them. Um, and of course, my associate producer, Ken Tripp. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon as you do and choosing the 602 Club to be the associate producer of. Guys, I'd love to hear your thoughts. John and I are so excited to hear what you guys have to say about Rebels Season 2. You can do, you can send us a contact there at trek.fm slash contact. You could leave us a voicemail. That would be a lot of fun. Look on the sidebar on the show page or go to speedpipe.com slash trek.fm. We are on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, and of course, I know we're going to be talking about this all over the Babel conference. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or you can make it easy on yourself. Go to the website at Trek.FM, click discussion on the menu bar. John, I can't believe we're already through the, the premiere of Season 2 of Rebels, and it feels like 
not only will the rest of the season be on us before we know it, but episode seven. So, uh, geez, can you believe it? I can, because I <laughs> this will be this will be a year long remembered. It has seen the return of Star Wars Rebels. It will soon see the return of Episode Seven, <laughs> or words to that effect. <laughs> Love it. Well, where can we find you online and, and tell everybody about the podcast that you do here in the network and elsewhere? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, I also have the distinct pleasure of appearing on Commentary Trek Stars uh, with Mike. That's that five-star review podcast, It is a five-star podcast. I thoroughly encourage you all to listen to Commentary Trek Stars. Uh, and uh, I also co-host a podcast with my buddy Craig. Uh, called Words with Nerds. It airs every Thursday on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, etc., etc., etc. And uh, hope to uh, hear you guys and hear from you guys and uh, all of that stuff. But Matt, uh, it's always a distinct pleasure to be here on the 602 Club. I look forward to it every time. Thanks for having me on again. Well, I couldn't do, and as, as we've discussed, um, it is now in the 602 Club bylaws that if we were talking about Star Wars, John Mills must be present. <laughs> uh, if you are not, Ruby kind of kicks my ass out until you show up. And so um, I'm, I'm always glad to share the floor when we're talking Star Wars. And, and honestly, it's so funny because um, I think we could probably just talk Star Wars every day and probably not get tired of it. True. Uh, other people might. But we wouldn't. So. Oh, balderdash. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Sheer poppycock, that is. That's uh, right. Well, <laughs> guys, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones. And we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine on that show. Have a great time. You can find me on Literary Treks with Dan. We talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, as well as being able to interview authors about their latest books. And then you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Do some reviews on there of movies and books and just things that are are important to me. So I hope you'll check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? (laughs) 